Absolute Rally, powered by the Kielder Works team. Cordless tools tailored for the world of motorsport. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 2, season 20 of Absolute Rally. I hope you are all keeping safe and well. Thank you to uh, the people that have been in contact with us after the episode with Neil. Um, there's no sliding doors in this one, or no sliding doors moments, certainly. But uh, this episode is with Gerard Quinn, who, of course, was been with, with Ford Motor Company for, for 30 odd years, obviously rose to the top. And we, we talked to him about his journey and his involvement uh, in the early years of, of, of when he joined Ford. And also, I suppose, when he got to the, the top of where he wanted to be with regards to motorsport. He's, uh, he's retired from Ford, but he's still very keen. Um, to be involved and he's still doing lots of other things as well so I thought it'd be quite a good time to to sit back and, and kind of relax and, and, and talk to Gerard. Ryan joins him in this one we, we we managed to break Ryan away from childcare commitments and if you've got if you've got kids yourself you know what it's like I'm in the same boat at the moment trying to find spare time is always tricky when you've got little ones as well so uh, Ryan joins me for this one and uh, it was nice to, to to finally get Gerard on we've been speaking to him off and on for, for, for a while we know he's listened to the pod as well so um, it's always good to get somebody on who's listened so it's the first time we've actually spoke to him so this one probably feels a little bit more like a normal absolute rally in some ways. Um, a bit more, I suppose, uh, interview than chat. And, but I think, it, I think it blurs the lines quite nicely anyway. So, um, yeah, this is Gerard Quinn. This is Absolute Rally. And as mentioned at the top of the programme, as I say, I wanted to get a, a, probably the most eclectic mix of people we're going to have during these conversations, during this kind of lockdown specials that we are making for everybody. And I suppose um, we've gone from drivers to presenters to team bosses to everything else. So we, we've, we've gone all the way to the top, um, I suppose, when it comes to management as well in this particular one. Um, 32 years retired from Ford Motor Company back in December 2019. Not not retired from, from work in any way, shape or form. Uh, welcome to Absolute Rally, Gerard Quinn. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me and, and uh, hi to all of your listeners. It's great to have you on. Um, obviously, we hope you're keeping safe and well. You're doing some fantastic work um, supporting local people um, at the moment. I think it's, it's it's fantastic. And that's what we're trying to encourage people to do as well for the podcast. So I, I doff my cap to you there, um, first and foremost. Um, uh, the other reason why I wanted to have, we've been trying to get you on for quite some time. And you're a man who likes a photograph. And you're a man who embraces it very much Twitter and stuff like that. And you always put some great images out um, of obviously some some Ford competition cars and stuff. I wanted to ask you, and I, I don't know that this must have been asked to you many times. When did rallying first come into your life, Gerard? Because it feels like you're very much a rally man anyway. But when did it first cross your bows? Yeah, r- rallying for me started at a, at a very early age. Uh, you know, my my dad. I guess was was instrumental first of all, and then one or two uh, friends that influenced me along the way. Um, but my my first rally uh, was I guess back in the in the mid sixties when I was four or five years of age, uh, going to rallies with with my uh, with my dad. Um, and I, I come from a, 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 I guess I'm fortunate that I come from an area where rallying is very prevalent because I'm surrounded by one probably some of the best stages uh, that there are in the world in terms of tarmac rallying. And then I'm spoiled for choice with uh, the Cork 20 on my doorstep. Uh, the West Cork rally is on my doorstep. I'm about um, half an hour from the stages of, of the, the rally of the lakes. 
the historic rally of the lakes. Uh, we have the Moonraker rally, uh, for round of the Irish uh, Forestry Championship. So I, I've grown up in an area where where rallying has been uh, hugely important. It's it's part of the community. It's it's how I grew up, and it's it's really the first uh, form of motorsport um, that I was introduced to, and I got involved in in marshalling with Cork Motor Club at a very early age, and I, I guess it's been in my blood since then. Did, did, was there a period of time, obviously, where there was? I'm sure there was a, a young Jared Quinn was, was was aspiring to be behind the wheel and and and, and pounding the lanes. You know, with the heroes that he was watching. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I guess the, you know, and I, I still encourage people to get involved in in motor clubs. But for me, um, I, I was fortunate to, to know a number of people that were competing in the sport, uh, and that that influenced um, how I got involved. And part of that influence was obviously, first of all, getting involved in a motor club. And I got involved in, in Cork Motor Club and began to marshal at events, first of all, and then got involved in the organizational side. But there was a parallel element to that where I um, did um, started off doing night navigation courses and then uh, was co-driver for, for a number of night nav events. Um, with regard to the driving side, um, something that never, um, it was something that I aspire to do, but never had really the, the the funding I guess that's one of the things that's always um, you know has held people back because of the funding issue it's hard to get started in rallying and and to this day that sticks with me because for me it's the privateers it's the the, the generations coming up that aspire to be in the top level of the sport that's very important so any way that I can put something back into the sport uh, that helps people to get on that first rung of the ladder you know, I, I guess I'm vicariously living out my own uh, desires, if you like, to help other people get on in the sport. And, and for me, that is probably is just as satisfying at the age I'm at now um, to, to have those people get on and, and move up the ladder themselves. But I never made it as a driver, but um, I certainly bent a lot of cars along the way in, in an effort to try and do it. <laughs> <laughs> as we all have done over the years but you're still heavily involved on that side as well aren't you you're still keen to marshal you still get out on any rallies you can yeah i mean one of the big disappointments i guess for the the, the present situation on the lockdown is that um very much involved with um with Cork motor club and the organizational side of the west Cork rally and um we were um one week out from the rally taking place and i had um you know, a, a lot of a lot of the work done from my side in terms of what I was going to be doing that weekend and marshalling and timekeeping and helping out in, in any way possible because, you know, it's the second round of the Irish Tarmac Championship and it's a, it's a very important round being also a round of the British uh, Championship. So, um, you know, e even the week before the rally, we had uh, people here like uh, Matt Edwards and Reese Yates and so on doing their, their pre-event tests. So I, I'm still very much in, involved in rallying and it's not necessarily just Cork Motor Club, it's any other motor club around that is looking for, for help and assistance because at the end of the day, if you don't have the volunteers, uh, invariably the events don't go ahead.
And, and that's great to hear, and it's something we talk a lot about on this podcast, just how important the local motor clubs are, you know, the, the bedrock of, of local motorsport. But if I can take you back to your, your sort of early interest in uh, in rallying, those early rallies you, you watched, who, who were the inspirational characters? Who were your heroes as drivers that you used to watch on those local uh, events? I mean, that's, you know, there's there's one person that sticks out in, in my mind, and that's, uh, you know, Billy Coleman was, was the guy that... Uh, um, I guess was was for me the the hero the the real character to to aspire to. Uh, I was fortunate enough that my my parents uh, knew the Colmans. They were uh, local to us. They were you know not not uh, not far from where we live. Um, Billy was a big hero in the area, and at that time in the seventies, his name was synonymous with the you know the works drives that he had with uh, with Ford. With the, the Mark II Escort, um, and then of course you know he, he moved on to bigger and better things with the the Rockman's World Rally Team in the uh, the Metro 604 and the uh, Porsche 911. Um, you know for for him to um, I guess represent his his country, such a, a small nation amongst bigger nations in in European Rally Championship terms. And in in rallies like the Lombard RAC Rally, it was it was a huge thing. Um, I got to know his dad. I got to know his brother John, who was a, 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 a very good sportsman in his own right, playing Gaelic football. And as the years went by, um, you know, I got to know um, I got to know Billy. And when I moved to London um, in '87, um, I was living quite near to Dan O'Sullivan, who was Billy's co-driver during during the early years. And uh, to this day, I'm still very good friends with with Billy and and with Dan. I don't I don't see Billy as much because he's um, he's a dedicated farmer, somebody that's that's committed to uh, to working the land. But uh, when we do meet up, uh, our conversations are known to last for quite a few hours. <laughs> and I mean, ultimately, you built uh, or your career so far, we should say, around the the Blue Oval. But were, were you always a passionate Ford fan, or, or did it come from those days of seeing Billy and the Escorts? No, I, I think again, that's that's really you know, there's been two real two, two people that have been really uh, instrumental, I guess, in 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 moulding my my life uh, around um, motorsports, uh, rallying in particular, but motorsport in its wider sense, and and around the Ford brand, and that's that's uh, my father and uh, Patrick Sullivan, who was a brother of Dan's, and he was a very avid uh, rally driver himself and and competed at a national level in in autocross and and he was very much um instrumental in me getting involved at a club level because he was involved in in monster car club um and as a, as a school teacher and a, and a passionate educator um <laughs> He, he channeled his his schooling into me getting involved in in um, in motorsport, and uh, sadly he's you know he's he's no longer with us. But he's one of these people that um, had it not been for him and for my dad, I don't think um, I, I would probably be as as involved and as passionate in motorsport as I am to this day. Uh, and then you joined uh, the, the Ford Motor Company in the in the late 80s and, and spent a lot of time on the on the purchasing side. But the, there was a uh, nearly an early involvement with motorsport because you had a, an interview at Borum. Yes, well, I, I, you know, Ford, um, a lot of people will probably know this, that the, the Ford family and the ancestry and the ancestral home of, of the Ford family 
is in Ballinasgarty in County Cork, which is about 18 miles from me, and the, the Ford plant uh, sadly closed down in, in Cork in 1984. My, my dad, uh, was he was a local policeman, he was also um, moonlighting, doing um, a vehicle distribution job that he had, um, taking cars from the plant and delivering them to dealers. I used to tag along with him, and that went on for about, for about 10 years, from 74 to 84. So I was very familiar with the Ford plant and with a lot of, a lot of people and friends that he knew. Uh, and, you know, I was fortunate as a child to see the, the assembly plant and the whole Ford, uh, sort of the, the way the industry operated uh, from, a, from a child's perspective. And that really captured my imagination. Um, and in actual fact, the, this one of the security men uh, at, the, at the gate in Ford Motor Company in Cork went on to become um, a marketing director in Henry Ford and Son Limited in, in Ireland. And I later worked with him many years when I came back to work in Cork, for, you know, when, in 2008. So, yeah, I, I sadly, as I say, Ford closed in Cork in 84. And I, because of uh, the, the, the times that we were living in, in 87, economies across the world weren't doing so well. And, and I was actually emigrating to the US and ended up in the UK and joined uh, Ford Motor Company on the 23rd of May, 1988. It seems like uh, yesterday, but that's, uh, that's when it was. And I started on the assembly line. Um, you know, that, that was um, my only way in at the time. Uh, I got a job in Dagenham working in the assembly plant. Uh, it was quite, you know, it was quite a, a, an interesting time because it was something I'd never done before. Um, I was quite proud of the fact coming from, from Cork and, and, you know, anyone that would know the history of the Cork connection with Dagenham would know that uh, people from Cork um, working in Dagenham, uh, you know, 30 years prior to that were known as the Dagenham Yanks uh, because they always came back to Cork and, you know, had, had been making a good living with Ford in the UK and they were always referred to as the, as the Dagenham Yanks, which was quite, uh, quite funny. But, um, yeah, so I, I started on the shop floor and worked on the assembly line for, for about two years before moving on to um, various number of positions within, within Ford Motor Company. Uh, and just, just getting, getting back to that, though, you had the chance to go to Borum to, uh, to have an interview. Yeah, sorry. So, um, yeah, I, was, I remember quite vividly I, I saw this uh, job advert on the, uh, at that time, all, all of the internal vacancies for what we call hourly pay people were advertised on the notice board. And it was a, a union requirement that uh, any positions had to be advertised. And I saw this job and I thought, mm, yeah, that sounds pretty interesting. So, um, and I recognized the, the, the name of the, you know, Peter Ashcroft was the person responsible for the, for the position. And I finished night shift, borrowed a, a, an old battered Renault 5 from a, a friend of mine and drove up to, uh, to Borum and, um, had my interview with Stuart Turner and um, with Peter Ashcroft. And obviously they were two people that, um, you know, I was in awe of because I, I knew them both quite, uh, quite well from reading. When I say I knew them well from reading about them, from seeing them on TV and so on at the time. Um, I did the interview and, and sadly um, I, I didn't get the job. And as I found out subsequently, the job had been already um, uh 
being provided to somebody else, let's say, but they have to go through the motions of, of doing the interviews. But, uh, you know, as luck would have it, many years later, um, I became friendly with Stuart Turner and, and met him at various motorsport events. And, and we kept in regular contact right up to the time that I left forward. And, and he subsequently decided to pull back from a lot of the after dinner speaking and, and things that he did at motorsport events. But uh, a real character and a real advocate for for motorsport and getting people involved in the sport uh, i think for any of us that are that are motorsport fans the the first day we walk into somewhere we've we've read about for years or we've seen in magazines you know the likes of of Borum as it used to be for a lot of people that would be m sport now or pro drive back in the day or whatever it you know it really creates a lasting memory what what do you remember about arriving at Borum that day and, and what cars do you remember seeing there yeah, the day I arrived there was, you know, it was a beautiful summer's day and, um, you know, the sunshine, bright blue sky. And I came I came off of night shift and had to change, change into um, formal clothes in, in the car park and make my way in, into the office building. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot to see at that time. They had... Um, um, some Sierras parked out the front, and some um, the the uh, the Ford car was being prepared for a junior series at that time as well. Um, but I, I think just the fact that um, I actually got to Borum out in in the in the middle of the Essex countryside, um, and it, it was an old uh, military airbase um, used by the um, American forces um, during World War Two. And of course, there's um, some monuments to to that um, division that were stationed there during World War Two. So there's there was a historical connection as well, which uh, at that time um, I wasn't aware of. But you know, it, it was quite an interesting day. Um, the the interview sort of meandered a little bit from from a formal interview um, into a chat at the end of it, which was quite interesting. But uh, as, as I say, the, the position had already been awarded to somebody else, so it was just a formality. But obviously, I wasn't aware of that at the time. Gerard, if I can ask, obviously, <laughs> you, you, you missed out on this position at Forum, which I think I think is a great part of the story anyway. But what happens between... You know, working on the the, 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 you know, working at kind of, you know, as you described, the hourly rate kind of positions within Dagnum. How does that equate to getting to the lofty heights of, of, of where you got to within the company and, and obviously within your, what your passion is in motorsport? How did that happen? Yeah, you know, a few people have asked me that, and and I, I, the only thing I can put it down to is, you know, um, it's sheer hard work because the the only thing I recognize um, doing in the way that I was brought up, I guess, and you know, it's 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 at a point in time, um, is that you know hard work will will win through in the end. And I, I went into Ford without any. I, I had a formal um, secondary education and and so on, but I didn't have. Uh, at that time, I didn't have a third level education, and, and I'm thankful to Ford that in later years that's, um, you know, through their education scheme, I was able to go on and do um, some third level education. Um, but, you know, it, it was a question of getting on, doing the job and getting that recognition for a job well done and, and moving moving up the ladder. And that's essentially how I got off the assembly line. Uh, I was thankful to the plant manager in Dagenham at that time, uh, Jeff Body, who recognized some work that I had done, suggested that I apply for a number of jobs. And from there, I went on to the salaried staff 
um, and moved through a number of positions within uh, the company at Dagenham, uh, various um, jobs within within the plant itself, making sure that the uh, the assembly lines ran, that we didn't run out of materials and so on. And then ultimately, I, I moved out of Dagenham to um, Trafford House in Essex, where I became uh, a buyer within the purchasing department. And again, moved through the various buying positions, um, both interior trim and exterior trim for, for vehicles like Fiesta and Sierra, Mondeo. Um, and then ultimately moving into the non-production side of our business, which was, you know, a, a lot of people assume that Ford, you know, is a, is a manufacturing business, which it is, but there is a, a side to that that keeps the business going as well. So for, for a long time, I, I managed um, the procurement of plant infrastructure in terms of um, electrical, mechanical and civil engineering to, to build and maintain our plants around Europe. So that, that was a very exciting time. And um, then I, I went into uh, procurement systems, uh, developing the future procurement systems for Ford um, and spent a number of years at that. Um, and that was really, I guess, when, when IT procurement was in its infancy. Um, and from there, I moved into... Um, back into the non-production side of our business as a purchasing manager for what was known at that time as engineering services. And engineering wow. services um, essentially was anything that had the word service after it. I, <laughs> at, at the beginning, it sounded like a nice title for anything engineering related, but as it turned out, I was responsible for the procurement of 4,500 uh, agency and contract staff across for Europe. Um, and that included uh, a service called uh, Motorsport, uh, and that was my first. That was back in nineteen eight. Uh, sorry, uh, two thousand and five, two thousand five, two thousand and six. I had the responsibility for the M Sport contract, and and that's really where my relationship with M Sport and with you know a, a number of motorsport projects at that time, Formula Ford, uh, the Formula One program was just coming to an end. Uh, Borum was closing down, so I had a little bit of the tail end of the, the closure of Borum and moving all of the um, the files and, and everything that had been associated with the motorsports programs up there, uh, the, the disposal of the land and the leasing of certain parts of that. So it, it, it was quite an emotional time because, you know, again, I felt I'd just come in at the tail end of, of motorsport and I'd missed out yet again. Um, but then, as you know, as as time moved on, we developed the relationship with with M Sport. Uh, they had been partners with us since '97. Um, the Borum um, facility had closed down, um, and you know the the whole M Sport program was, I guess, at its probably at its strongest at that period of time. Um, so I was fortunate to be there in 2006 and 2007 when we won the back-to-back the -back manufacturer championships. And um, I guess, you know, over the period of time up to when I left the, the company, um, it, it was keeping that partnership and that relationship alive and making sure that, you know, if Ford is involved in rallying, that we were involved uh, at the highest level with the best partner in the business. And, you know, I'm, I'm quite proud of having walked away from, from Ford that that legacy is still there today. 
And, you know, we had, we had some really tough and challenging times. I guess the, the toughest being 2012 when uh, Ford decided to um, pull back from having a full works team. But, you know, uh, behind the scenes, um, both myself and, and a number of key staff within the company and uh, some of my own team, uh, we worked to enable M-Sport to continue, um, if you like, as, as, a, as a front for what was essentially a manufacturer team. How, how, how difficult is that when you understand, because you're a rally person, what it takes to actually do it? And then, you know, to, 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 to have to break that news, obviously, to, I suppose, to, to Malcolm and M Sport and stuff, but also go back with a plan B, knowing full well, you know, the amount that it takes, because, you know, we all kind of mis, mis, misread these things where we think, well, maybe, you know, the people making the decision don't really understand rallying. You know, that's a very easy out for most people. Oh, they don't understand rallying. That's why it's being canned. Whereas you, you, you didn't have that. That it, it ran through your veins. You know, you grew up with it. You know, how difficult was it for you personally at the time? Yeah, extremely difficult at the time. Obviously, getting the news first of all. Um, you know, when when you put a business proposal forward and you have have it on the table and you've done everything to the best of your ability to make sure that you've incorporated everything that will return, uh, provide a good return on that investment for the company. That's that's first and foremost. And then, um, you know, you put that on the table and you get the news that, well, actually, this isn't going anywhere because um, we're, we're, we've decided to pull the plug. The company can no longer afford to compete uh, as a works uh, team in WRC. That, that was extremely difficult. Um, that is news that you have to take on board. You have to absorb it and then work out how you can uh, make it the the you know make the the impact of that as as um, soft as possible for the so many people that that it affects and that is not just you know people at M Sport but it is also people within Ford Motor Company and and what I, I guess what people fail to realize from time to time is that these are decisions that are not taken lightly. And from 2012 until December of 2019, if you look back through the history of Ford Motor Company, you will see that thousands of people, I mean, at, at one point, you know, losing four and a half thousand employees, some of them my own colleagues from Ford Motor Company, but still investing money in rallying. I mean, that is extremely difficult to try and manage that both emotionally and from a practical perspective, because you're getting the wrath of, of rally fans, you're getting the wrath of, of employees who potentially are losing their jobs, and, and, and also from colleagues you work with who may not necessarily see the same value in rallying as, as you do yourself, or, or motorsport for, for, for that matter. So you, you have to be very balanced in your approach in terms of, you know, what, what, what is it we're doing? Why are we doing it? Are we, are we still able to establish value in what we're doing, both for the company and more importantly, for the shareholders who invest in the company, those shareholders where we get our money from to invest in products, but also to do things like rally. So, yeah, it, it, it was, um, I guess, for two years, it was a, a really uh, tortuous time because there was a lot of sleepless nights um, trying to work out how 
um, we would continue and, and find a route to continue in, in motorsport because don't forget there was other sports going on at the time like uh, Formula Ford later to become Formula Four. Uh, we were involved in a little bit of rallycross. We had some uh, involvement uh, through Team Aon with British Touring Car. So there's quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of other projects going on in the background, but obviously WRC was our largest one, and. Um, yeah, it, it, it was, uh, there's no shadow of a doubt that it, it was extremely difficult, but I think I was well equipped to deal with it in the sense that I'd been through uh, the personal redundancy strike myself, I'd been out of work myself in the past, um, you know, understanding what our business is about, understanding how as a business that we wouldn't survive unless we took some of the tough decisions that we took. So, you know, it, it was for me, um, I know I've been called a number of things in the press about being a, a hatchet man and whatever, but you, you have to maintain your sanity, first of all, and then maintain a balanced perspective in terms of what is right for the company, for your employer, for the people that pay you, but also what is right for the people that you do business with. And that, in that case, would have been M-Sport. And, you know, for us in 2012, there was very few people at M-Sport actually lost their jobs. There was a lot more people from Ford actually sacrificed their jobs. And we continued in rallying and we're still in rallying to this day. So, you know, I guess when I look back at it in that respect, um, yes, it, it was a tough time, but we're we're still very much involved in in motorsport and in rallying. How how involved did you get uh, within M Sport with regards to um, you know drivers and stuff like that? Again, you, you you spoke so passionately at the top of all this about you obviously you know seeing you know knowing how hard it is to get into it and and finding you know you know to use a Ford term from probably before your time that Ford ladder of opportunity and things like that how how big a deal did you find it to to when they were taking drivers on and things like that did, you know did you ever see somebody you don't have to name names but did you ever kind of say Malcolm is he is he worth a roll of the dice is it is it is it worth speaking to him did you do, do you ever have that urge to do that yeah that's uh, I mean that's uh, that's an interesting one because that's probably some of the discussions that Malcolm and I have had that are Probably the most uh, most engaging uh, in in every sense of the word. Um, they can be quite emotional discussions, and because you know people have have different opinions uh, on 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 different you know in this case in, in terms of drivers, you know you you have different um, viewpoints. Uh, it, it can be a very emotional topic. Um, but, you know, the one thing we always find, Malcolm and I, when we work together, there is a very strong mutual respect there. Now, we can, it's, it's like any partnership or any relationship, you know, there's, there's give and take, there's compromise, uh, you can push one another uh, really hard. I mean, he knows how to push push me hard. I know how to push him hard. But generally, we we have always come to an agreement that says, look, um, we we are doing this for the right reasons. And yes, there were times when we we looked at one another and said, well, maybe it's not the best decision. But equally, we've had some great times when we've looked at one another and said, you know what, this was the right thing to do. And, and from from you know a driver perspective, um, it, it's you know it's a gamble. Uh, I liken it sometimes to you know race horses. They, they they can be they have good days and bad days, 
but boy, when you get them on a good day, they can be fantastic, and that is probably the most rewarding side of it. Uh, as you said, Gerard, you, you're very pleased with your, your legacy, if you like, that Ford's still very much involved in the, the World Rally Championship. Uh, how do you think the World Rally Championship is today? How strong is it? What uh, and where would it need to be stronger, for argument's sake, to uh, to attract manufacturers back in, say Ford, on a on a, a full basis? You know, what does it need to do to strengthen itself? Do you think? Yeah, I, th- I think for, first of all, in the, in the, you know, in the present environment, this this will be um, you know we've come through foot and mouth in the past. We've come through uh, the, the the ash cloud. There's been various um, challenges for for World Rally Championship for rallying in general and for motorsport in the past, but I think this is by far uh, going to be the most challenging uh, time for for any form of motorsport. But looking at uh, WRC in isolation, um, I mean, the the sport was in a very good position right up to the time that that this pandemic um, kicked off. And, you know, the promoter, uh, for many years, we've been struggling to find a promoter for the sport, somebody who who actually understood the sport, who was prepared to make the investment um, and and to take the risk um, to to spend the money, um, essentially to pay for the rights for the sport to the FIA. Um, which is a you know it's a huge amount of money. It's it's a blind leap of faith into the unknown because what you don't know is if you spend millions of euros buying the rights to the sport, will you ever see a return on that money? I mean, advertising revenues are down. Uh, TV trying to sell it to to TV companies is difficult. Uh, nobody you know will 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 sort of engage with you unless you have a value proposition now we all see as passionate fans we see rally as a as as a, a a very valuable proposition to us because we are inexorably linked to it through our own passion and desires to go racing but you know that's not always the way it's seen by broadcast companies when you go and try and sell that product to them because you're competing with tennis, you're competing with football, you're competing with so many other sports. And, and equally, a rally, if you look at a rally, it, it takes you know, a number of days to get to the results. Um, it, it may seem engaging to the fans that know rally, but for the generations that are out there today, you know, it, it's, it's a time of, you know, they want an instant fix. They want to know the result pretty quickly. Um, this this whole idea of getting um, instant satisfaction from what you're watching, what you're consuming. So, you know, the 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 whole uh, the promoter that came into the sport did a huge amount for the sport in the past uh, four or five years. And, and despite you know a lot of criticism, and I know I've criticised myself in the past, but. But overall, they brought the sport to the point where it was now a product that could be consumed easily by so many people in the digital age. So, for example, on mobile devices. Now, not everybody will agree with me on that, but I would say the majority of people who who would, would look at WRC for what it is today on mobile devices, on on download, on um, you know the app uh, on WRC All Live. 
um, that took a huge amount of time to an effort to put together, but also a huge amount of investment. Now, going back uh, a number of years, you know, four or five years ago, we didn't have that. It doesn't look like a huge step today. But when you, if you had to sit down and, and work through the, the various steps that had to be gone through to achieve that, uh, it, it was a fundamental step for the sport. I think the calendar was getting to a place where um, there was the right mix of events. Uh, it was it was going back to the point where it truly was becoming a world championship. There was like you know four uh, long haul events, and that was going to increase uh, over time. Um, so you know the sport at the point where this broke out was in a very strong position. I think now, if you look at where it's going to go in, in the coming months, um, obviously, as we go through this pandemic, there's going to be less rounds available to do this year. Um, but I'm sure there will be some rounds of the World Championship that will continue later in the year. Um, and then into next year, you know, will it be a more consolidated championship? Who's to know in terms of what this virus will do over the winter period? Will it impact, for example, events at the early part of the 2021 calendar? But I think the sport itself, and, and you know, it's a long way around to answer your question, I think is, is in a very strong position. Um, I think it's, it's probably in the strongest position it's been in a long time. And I would hope that that would see it right out the storm that we're seeing right now. Um, I think the difficulty will be where uh, the investors in events, um, particularly sponsors, commercial entities and so on that are going to invest in events in the future may get that funding that they had put aside for supporting rallies and events may get diverted into other things because of the financial impact that the virus has had. Uh, and that's probably one of the biggest obstacles that I can see coming in the future. Uh, it's good to hear that it, that it is uh, held in such high regard by by a manufacturer, as it were. But uh, we've seen it. We've seen a change in how manufacturers go around their their motorsport policies globally. I mean, we used to see the national importer enter rally teams. Then it was maybe a Euro European importer. Nowadays, more and more manufacturer programs seem to be overseen uh, by by the head office, as it were. That that must have changed the view of somebody like Ford Motor Company on its world motorsport policy over the last few years? Yeah, I, I guess the world has become a very small place now. At one time when you spoke about global, it, it was, uh, you know, you kind of uh, couldn't quite understand the, the scale of global, but the, the world has become uh, a very small place. And I guess we, we have seen that uh, very much so recently in terms of, you know, people working from home and our reliance now on digital technology to make the world a much smaller place. And, you know, to uh, for the likes of Ford Motor Company in particular, Ford has always been a global player when it came to motorsport, um, you know, slightly fragmented in terms of the regions doing their own thing. But a number of years back, uh, Ford took the decision to, to uh, manage the motorsport program in the same way that it manages its vehicle programs um, and, and to do that on a, global on a global basis. Now, there's regional input, and in many cases, there's regional execution, but uh, the blessing, if you like, uh, and, and the wherewithal to do this has to go through uh, a global forum. And, and um, I guess Ford has been uh, well used to doing business in that way and to, to do motorsport in that way for us was, was a natural progression. So, 
Um, I think certainly from a Ford perspective, that that was um, something that was uh, always going to happen. Uh, it was just a question of, of when, and it's you know it's something that is um, I, I think to the outside world most people wouldn't actually take any notice of that right now in terms of of, of how Ford is managing its its motorsports business, and it's no different we say to Hyundai where you know it's managed out of out of Korea. Um, you know I, I don't think a lot of people would would understand how how their business model, if you like, for for managing. Their involvement in the sport is done, other than the fact that they see Hyundai as a Korean manufacturer. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go through a very easy one for you now, Gerard. To be honest with you, because I think Rise gave you some tough ones, so I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give you some nice easy ones. I'm, I'm gonna assume that the, 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 the pinnacle for you during your time in, 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 in Ford Motor Company and Ford Motorsport and Ford Performance and things like that. Would have been securing the two manufacturers' titles back to back. That that must have been, or am I, am I misreading that? Um, well, actually, 2006 and 2007, I, I I thought that could never be surpassed, and and certainly uh, 2007, um, taking the um, and I, I think I posted a photograph of that recently on my Twitter feed. The, lifting the trophy in in 2007 in Sligo, the the manufacturers' trophy was. Uh, you know that that was hugely important for for the company. But on a personal note, to do that um, for for me to be there doing that in in my home country was you know that was extremely emotional, and and it was something you know I thought well you know I've been involved in a team now that's taken back to back manufacturers championship, and then we we came to you know fast forward to 2017 and. Um, you know, it's no exaggeration to say that the, the the fiesta at that time was it was a painful birth in and my personal experience involved in that program. I mean, it, it was touch and go whether that car would ever materialize, and it did. And you know, we won won the championship with that, and and lifting the the title in in uh, in Wales, and for Elfin to win um, his his first WRC event in in Wales, you know, that was hugely important. Um, and and then the, the following year with with Seth taking a driver's title. So I, I, I guess if, you know when I walked away when I left the office in December, I thought you know looking back at it when you're doing these things you don't really take much notice of it and you move on to the next event and you don't get much time to live in the moment um but when i when i left the office and i looked back and i thought you know what it's it's little did i think in 2012 um that those two titles that i look back at in 2006 and 2007 were very important because i looked back and thought there was a great sense of achievement but actually, in 2019, and look back, and that there was four titles on the table. I mean, that was something that uh, that I could never have dreamt of. But it, it, it's you know, it, it was just that moment in time that I actually finally got a chance to say, well, actually, you know what? I'm quite pleased with what we've done. Um, this 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 sounds almost like a schoolboy question, and I suppose it is in many ways. But it, it does come from the fact that something I mentioned before. With regards to your Twitter feed and stuff like that, um, you always put a nice image out of a rally car, and uh, you put one out the other day. You put a picture out of a Puma the other day. Yes. Which, which I know got Ryan really, really excited because I know Ryan's 
it's not been mentioned at all anywhere else. But Ryan's actually got one of the ex-works ones in his in his private collection now. So I thought, well, I've got to ask, I've got to ask Gerald about the Puma. I know you; it was before your time, uh, necessarily, obviously with Ford. But um, is it still one that 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 turns your head now, Gerard? Um, yes, it is, and and I, I was involved in because that that was an outsourced engineering program. So I was involved in the in the latter part of of that uh, Puma program, and um, it, you know people like uh, Philip Donovan and uh, Peter Beatty and and a number of colleagues like that were involved in it. Um, and I, I came in at the, the tail end of the, we'd say, the, the Tickford part of that program. Um, but it's a car that I, you know, I, I'm, I'm fascinated about because, it, again, it was one of those times where where there was a, a lull in the amount of, of, of production, or sorry, of performance cars coming through the production line. And um, it, it was a very exciting project. And um, the reason it's it's so close to my heart is I actually bought one. Um, and I still have the car, but I haven't seen it for 10 years because I, I put it in storage. And uh, it's got 14,000 miles on the clock. And um, I've not had the chance to see the car, and I just hope to put it back on the road one day. But it's one of those cars that you look at, and it puts a smile on your face. But when you actually sit in and drive it, you, you, you actually you are still smiling, and that's that's the one good thing about it. it. It's it's just a phenomenal little car when you sit in and drive it. It's it's amazing, and that's just the road car version. You know, I know the the rally car version. Not that I've ever driven the rally version of the Puma, but it's um, you know, it, it's just an incredible little car for what it, for what it is. We we can make that happen for you, Gerard. All you got to do is ask her. As I say, my colleagues got one. Oh, we should make your dream happen here. We, we could do that one day. We could do that. Yep. Yeah. Got to get it back in one piece first. It's uh, it's in a few pieces at the minute, but it, uh, it will be back in the original livery back in one piece very soon. Oh, very good. But, it, you know, again, that's that's one of those things that's uh, from a rallying perspective uh, for me is, is hugely important these days. You know, I, I spend a lot of time um, in particular on the Formula 4 um, program that I was responsible for managing, bringing young people to the fore. And, you know, I guess one of the, the, the proudest moments um, over the past number of years in, in Formula 4 for us as a company was getting Lando Norris and finding him and, and making sure that he um, he had an opportunity to drive in a series that helped him to to um, get a stepping stone into, you know, where he wanted to go in motorsport and he's in Formula One now. Um, you know, again, if you look at what's happening with rally cars today and the passion that people have for authentic restoration, I mean, it's it's incredible. And, uh, you know, I love to see it and I love to see people posting on their Twitter feeds the, the projects that they have done uh, in, in terms of restoring rally cars that they have that they've bought that they've invested a lot of money in and a lot of time and how they have um you know restored and kept uh and preserved motorsport history it's it's fantastic um for me twitter is is um you know it's a community um most of what i share on there is my, my personal thoughts and opinions um the photographs um 
that I share are photographs. Some of them are ones that I took myself because I was involved in, you know, I was an amateur photographer, but uh, biased towards motorsport photographs. Um, but then I'm, I'm fortunate to have a lot of, you know, people like uh, uh, Colin McMaster, um, Lorcan Barron, uh, people like that that have um, allowed me to share their work or where they've given me photographs over the years. Uh, um, Colin did some very nice uh, family photographs for me a number of years ago involved in rallying. So, um, y you know, where you can share those experiences with people, for me, that's where, where Twitter is of interest. The day that I get tired of it, where I no longer feel that there's something to share, that there's something that will bring some um, excitement or some, um, you know, provoke some thought or story from somebody about their own rally experience, that's the day I'll be gone off of Twitter. Fantastic. And that is a perfect place for us to end. Gerard Quinn, thank you so much for joining us on Absolute Rally. Thank you very much. This is Absolute Rally. I hope you enjoyed the chat we had with, with Gerard and thanks to Ryan, as I say, for joining me. Uh, you may remember from episode one, our idea was to, to try and do things and, and, and try and um, get people contributing to, to, to local things that, uh, that are helping during this kind of terrible time. And uh, if you can do that, you know, we're, we're donating money to the NHS. Obviously, the lovely people at Kielder are trying to get some equipment into uh, to an ambulance station, which we're still we're still working on at the moment. So, um, so yeah, if if you could do something, it would be great. If you can afford to do something, I realise it's it's crazy times at the moment um, financially for, for for lots of people. But um, as I say, every little helps, and it would be nice to do something. So, if you have done something, great. If you want to share it, great. If you don't, great completely and utterly get it. Um, but as I say, we're putting these ones out for, for you, and obviously to to try and support, you know, people that are supporting us right now, I guess. Um, I'll give you a bit of a tip. Next week, uh, we've got Julian Porter on episode three of season 20 uh, talking about his career, which is something he's never really done. But I'll give you a bit of a heads up. If you follow Julian on Twitter or on Instagram, which I'm sure you do, he's been putting stories out with regards to his career and stuff like that. Well, this will lend itself really, really well. So if you're listening to this and you're going to listen to episode three, go back, have a look at some of Julian's stuff because it'll probably tie in a little bit uh, with regards to what we're going to be taught. Well, there's no perhaps. It's definitely going to tie in a little bit. So um, so yeah, seek out a Julian stuff on on, on, on Instagram and Twitter um, because you'll be able to relate it probably to what we're talking about next week as well. So anyway, uh, thank you again for the download and thank you. If you could subscribe, by the way, it really does help us. Um, subscriptions do make a difference and if you could leave us a review if you've enjoyed it on iTunes that helps as well anyway uh, we'll be back same time same place in the little podcast hole next week Absolute Rally powered by the Kielder Works team spread the word and download the podcast every week